Good day, members and friends of Highland Community Church. It is a joy to be with you in this, your first weekend in the new facility. Realize it's a little bit different than what you had anticipated, but God is faithful, and God is here, and as I am recording this on Thursday, I am watching faithful members hauling in a lot of furniture, getting ready for the day in which you will all be able to meet together in worship and community together. I have to tell you, uh, about a month ago, I was in this facility. Uh, I got a tour of it by the elders. It was beautiful then, but when I came into the building this morning and walked into the sanctuary, frankly, it took my breath away. This is going to be a spectacular facility for you to continue to serve this community uh, and the entire world for years and years to come. It is unusual uh, as we think about what's happening this weekend and not being able to be here in person. Uh, very unusual times and, and we do pray that uh, this would be a very temporary and, and short-term uh, situation. But I have to tell you there are some benefits that have come about uh, that we can acknowledge in this, our situation. And so what I'd like to do is to walk through, I made a list of some of the things that we're able to enjoy as short-term benefits by having church online rather than being in person. So here, here's the list that I came up with. First of all, you had no parking issues today. Number two, you are sitting, hopefully, in the most comfortable pew your buttocks will ever experience. Number three, you got to choose when the worship service would begin. Corollary or a bonus of that, you can't be late to church. Number four, no one knows what you are wearing to church today. That's a good thing. Number five, you could hit pause at any time, take a restroom break, get back and hit the push button again to, to start it, and you will have not missed one good story that hopefully I will tell. Number six, food and drinks are permitted in this sanctuary where you're worshiping today. Number seven, you get to regulate the volume that is coming through the speakers. And finally, number eight, you can fast forward through any points of the sermon that you don't like. So there are some benefits that we can reap on a temporary basis until we're able to meet all together. So as we begin today, let's stop and pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the great promise that comes to us when we read in the scriptures that this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, this day we choose joy. We choose to rejoice in what you are doing in the world and in our lives. And even though we don't completely understand all that is happening, Lord, we choose to believe that you are sovereign, that you are in control of everything. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit today have interceded for us. And Lord, we thank you that you bring comfort to your people. 
in the midst of what we're going through today, thank you that you shepherd the vulnerable, that you protect the weak, that you heal the sick, that you have promised that you would never leave us and that you would never forsake us. And so, Lord, we do pray that indeed we would experience the closeness of your presence with us today. God, we thank you for this amazing and wonderful new facility. Lord, we pray that in the days and weeks ahead that it would be a place, a haven, a sanctuary for your people and for people who are looking for answers to the issues of life, that, Lord, they would find this building and the ministries here to be a place where answers are given, where grace is extended, where truth is proclaimed, and where your people live in community. And so now, Lord, as we look into your word, we ask that you would speak to us through this message that comes to us, Lord, from your book, your Bible for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I performed my first wedding ceremony several months after I had begun my work as a church planter in Northern California. I had counseled Don and Jan. Uh, they were the couple that were getting married. Both of them were older. Uh, this was not their first rodeo, so to speak, and they had plenty of baggage. Uh, they had been married multiple times. There were teenagers. There were money issues. There were health issues. But they had come to know the Lord, and they wanted to build their lives together upon uh, the Scriptures and upon their newfound faith in Christ Jesus. So after counseling them, uh, I prepared for the ceremony. And so it was my first wedding ceremony. I was extremely nervous. There weren't many people there. I was glad for that. But that nervousness made me commit a mistake that has shaped my approach to wedding ceremonies ever since. And we worked our way through the ceremony, and as we're doing that, it came to the point in the ceremony where I was to ask the couple their questions. And so I looked at Dawn, and I said, Jim, will you take Jan? Now, where did Jim come from? I, I had no idea. Dawn looked at me, and had this confused look upon his face, and then he smiled, realizing that it was my first rodeo in this experience. And then he, he laughed, and I smiled. But I tell you what, I was so taken aback by calling Dawn Jim that I have since learned to take nothing for granted when it comes to a wedding ceremony. So when I performed both of my son's wedding ceremonies, I tell you, I wrote down their full names in every place in my notes. I wrote down their bride's full name at every possible place in those notes because I did not want to make a mistake in their weddings. Well, at a wedding ceremony, a, a couple will face each other, they'll look into each other's eyes, they will hold hands, and then they will repeat their vows to each other before God and before uh, their, their family and their friends. What a tender moment that is as two individuals come together to form a covenant relationship that is based upon being faithful to each other. The scriptures tell us that the marital covenant is a picture of the relationship between God and his people. Now in the Old Testament, of course, his people 
was the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, of course, it is the church. And the church is affectionately referred to as the bride of Christ. So today, as we conclude this, this little series on transitions from Joshua chapters 23 and 24, as we read those two chapters, there's a feel in this section of Scripture of a marriage ceremony. And in fact, in, in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 8, there is a very significant uh, little word that is used. And so it says in verse 8, uh, God, or the Joshua is speaking uh, to the people and he says this, You are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And so that little word, or those two words, hold fast, in the Hebrew language is the very same Hebrew word that is used back in Genesis 2 and verse 24, where God said to Adam, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall cleave, there's that word, he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the word that is used in Genesis 2 for cleaving, or holding fast to your wife is the same word that is used here in verse 8 to describe the nation of Israel that they are to cleave to the Lord in the same way that a husband and wife cleave to each other. How beautiful that is. And so in chapter 23, we have the vows that God speaks to his people, to his bride, the, the people of Israel. And then in chapter 24, we are going to see the vows that Israel, as the bride, makes to her husband, that of Jehovah God. So God vows in chapter 23 to be faithful. He promises to be faithful to three very important entities. And first of all, in verse 3 of chapter 23, he vows to be faithful to his people. So he says this, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all of these nations, and He has done these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. How wonderful that is to know that the Lord our God fights for His people. He fought for Israel to the extent that in verse 9 it is said that the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day no one has been able to stand against you because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. What a great promise that is to know that the Lord is faithful to his people. Now, back in Exodus chapter 3, uh, God appeared uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is what God said to Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out, and I am concerned about their suffering. Is that not great to know that God is concerned about the suffering of his people? And he continues, so I have come down to rescue them and to bring them into a good and spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And the God who said that I watch over the suffering of my people in the Old Testament is the very same God who says that I 
Watch over. I care. I am concerned about the suffering of my people today. Now, King David picks up on that theme in Psalm 37. He writes these words. I was young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. So David is at in the senior stage of his life and he looks back over his entire life and he says, this is what I've learned. God is faithful. God never forsakes or abandons his people. In fact, his faithfulness goes into the next generation. That same message is reiterated numerous times in the New Testament. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is as faithful to his people today as he was to the people in the Old Testament, his Hebrew people. Now, without any question, these are very challenging. These are very sobering times for our world, our nation, our community, our our families, our very own lives. And frankly, I have to say to you that it would be very frightening times if you were to place your trust in your health, in your um, finances, if you place your trust in your, your family, in your job, in your uh, retirement pension, if you were to put your trust in all of those items, it would be a, an extremely sobering time. But for those of us who have chosen to place our trust in the Lord God to know that he is faithful to his people, that he will care for us, he will be with us through difficult times, that's a good thought. We need to cling to that in these days. So God says that I will be faithful to my people. But in verse 14, he goes on to state that he will also be faithful to his promises. And so uh, Joshua says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know with all of your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. He states this three times, both negatively and positively, so that there can be no misunderstanding, no misinterpretation. God is faithful to his promises. Now, when you stop to think about God's faithfulness to his promises, our ability to trust in his promises is based upon two other attributes of God. For God to be faithful to his promises requires God to be truthful. God is true, and therefore, whatever he speaks can be trusted because it is truthful. There is nothing that God says to us that is untrue. Everything that he says can be trusted because that is his very nature. No fantasy, nothing that he says is imaginative. It is truthful. It is based in reality. So that is the first attribute. 
The second attribute of a God that, that helps us understand his faithfulness is to realize that he is also powerful. He is true and he is powerful. Only an all-powerful being could ensure that what he says is going to become real and be fulfilled. And so when you put those two attributes of God together, his truthfulness and his powerful nature, you begin to realize that God is faithful to his promises. It is his faithfulness to his promises that gives us confidence in our relationship with him. Gives us the confidence that we are able to claim and to trust in his promises. Now, back in Joshua 14, there's a very interesting story of Caleb. Caleb was one of the 12 uh, spies who went into the land. It was Caleb and Joshua that brought back the minority report, the good report. We should take the land. And, of course, the 10 overruled the 2, and as a result of that, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. We pick up the story in Joshua 14 and verse 10. Caleb comes into Joshua's presence, and this is what he says. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. You get that? Joshua had promised Caleb, or excuse me, Moses had promised uh, Caleb that the land would be given to him. Moses has died, but Caleb has not forgotten that promise Forty-five years later, Caleb comes to Joshua before the Lord and says, Give to me what God has promised. I have not forgotten his promise, and God will be faithful to that. Give me the land that he promised me. When we were involved in our building projects at Piners, we engaged in several very meaningful activities. After the concrete slab had been poured and the metal studs had been put up, indicating where the rooms were, uh, we built our weekend services around an exercise on site. We told the people before the service that they should uh, bring all of their favorite Bible verses and promises in prayers that they wanted to pray for that new facility. And on this given Sunday, we were to, going to meet there at the construction site. And when they arrived, we gave to all the people magic markers. And we said, spread out and write those Bible verses, those prayers, draw those figurines, put it all over this building, and so people went to work. Children were drawing figurines. People were, were writing Bible verses and prayers on different studs and on the concrete floor. And then they came forward, the workers the next day, and they began to cover them up. But today, if you were to look underneath the, the, the flooring and look behind the sheetrock, you would literally find thousands of Bible verses. 
and prayers. Claiming God's presence. Claiming God's promises. Literally, that building is constructed on the promises that God's people claimed for that facility. It is God's faithfulness to His promises that gives us the confidence, the boldness, the faith to take Him at His word and to claim those promises for our own lives. So God vows to be faithful to His people, to His promises, and in verse 15, He promises to be faithful to His very nature. We read this. Now, Joshua speaking, I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know that with all your heart and soul that not one of these good promises has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, my thought is this, every good promise, is there any other kind of promise? And the answer to that question is yes. There is another kind of promise because it goes on to state this. So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil that he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given to you. So here is a very sobering reminder that yes, God indeed promises to bless His people when they are obedient, but He also warns them that should they deviate from His word and not walk in harmony with Him, that He will bring about the things that He warns them about. You see, not only is God faithful to His Word, he is faithful to his nature. That includes his justice and his righteousness. And so God says that he will do to them in accordance with his nature if they are disobedient to him. Now God's covenant with Israel was truly unconditional because it was based upon his own nature. Their disobedience would not render that covenant null and void. But it would cause them to miss out on the blessings that he had for them. They would fail to reap the fullness of what God had for them. In a very real sense, it would cause them to live beneath the dignity to which they were called as the people of God. Trudy and I uh, like to kayak. And we wait the spring thaw when we can put our kayaks in the Long Lake, which is close to our home. We prefer kayaking and canoeing in lakes rather than to rivers just because of the logistical issues. But we have done some kayaking on rivers. The river current makes paddling so much easier because you're able to go with the current. But when you turn that kayak around and go upstream against that current, it is so much more work. Now, the river current remains constant. It just depends upon which way 
you're paddling. Well, in a very real sense, God's faithfulness is like that river current. When you and I are in fellowship with Him, we feel the positive impact of His blessings, His smile. It's, it's like paddling with the current. But, but when we are disobedient and we're walking out of fellowship with Him, what happens is that we find ourselves going against the current. Makes all the difference as to whether we're walking with Him or walking out of fellowship. And so God says that He will be faithful. He will be faithful to us as His people. He's faithful to His promises, but He's also faithful to His nature. And so when we are out of fellowship, God withholds the blessings. He, 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 he refuses to, 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 to step down and, and to, to, to honor that lifestyle that is in disobedience to what He wills for us. So these are the vows of God in chapter 23. Well, in chapter 24, then, we come to the people's response, their vows, and is found beginning with verse 14 of chapter 24. And the exhortation is this, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, oh, Far be it for us to forsake the Lord our God, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God Himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us for our entire journey and all the nations through whom we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. And Joshua said, you're not able to serve the Lord. Verse 21, the people said, no, we, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, well, you're witnesses of this, that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And they said, yes, we are witnesses. We will serve the Lord. So here we have the nation of Israel vowing to serve the Lord in all faithfulness. It's a dominant theme in this section of Scripture. Multiple times they are said that they would serve the Lord. Now, in these two chapters, there's some activities, actions that they were to participate in, and there were some actions that they were to avoid. And much of the Christian life is, revolves around making good choices and saying no to the bad choices. Uh, in preparation or anticipation of my retirement, the children's ministry at our church asked the children as an exercise to write cards of thanks uh, to me. And so after they had collected all these cards, 
they, they put them into a, a three-binder notebook, and it's, a, it's just a very tender uh, memory that I have of the children at Christ Community Church. And some of them, you know, are, are, are very humorous as they you know, understand what a pastor is to do. But I tell you what, in, in the front page, I put one that's deeply meaningful to me. Uh, it was written uh, by a boy by the name of Jack. And I was in uh, Jack's home several different times and saw how the Lord was working in uh, this family's life. And this is what Jack wrote. He said, Dear Pastor Dean, thank you for your leadership and loyalty to this church. Thanks for also being loyal to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jack. When he wrote those words, thank you, for being loyal. I, I thought about that word loyalty, similar to being faithful, to come to the end of your life or of your ministry and to have children say, thank you for your loyalty, your loyalty to the Lord your God. Is that not what each one of us wants uh, to hear? Do we not want that to be said as we say goodbye to life on earth? To say, to hear the words, thank you for being loyal. Now I've got more of the race to run, so it's still a challenge for me. But in this passage, there are what I believe to be four rhythms. Rhythms of life that help us to remain faithful to him. And so real quickly, I'm going to go through these four rhythms. The first rhythm is found in verse 15 in that little word, if. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. There's a lot of theology in that two-letter word. And here's the theology. Never underestimate the power of your depravity. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable. Now, in that word, there is the realization that our depravity is very much at work within us. In that small little word is kind of the default setting of our heart and our nature. Our default setting is that we will go with our depravity. Our natural bent, our natural inclination is to serve our depravity. And so if we are to remain faithful to the Lord, we never want to uh, underestimate the power of our depravity to rear up and to show its ugly head and to cause us to do something that is foolish and sinful and frankly stupid. Second rhythm is found in that word choose. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. I have discovered that, that faithfulness is a combination of the big choices and then the daily multiple choices. Now it is true that life has several really big choices. I remember the first time I asked Trudy for a date, that was a big choice that I was making. Years later, 
I chose to propose to her another really big choice. And then on our wedding day, we stood together and I said, Trudy, I choose you, another really big choice. And I said, I do to you, Trudy. And when I said that, I was in essence saying, I don't to every other female. I said, I will to her. And I was saying, I won't to every other woman. Those are the big choices. But what I have discovered in over 40 years of marriage is that those big choices need to be renewed on a daily basis. Every day I need to choose her rather than choosing anyone else or choosing to look at pictures on the internet. I choose her and I say no to that. Well, what is true in a marriage is also true in our relationship with Christ. To choose to become a follower of His is the most significant decision and choice that you will ever make in your life. It's truly the big choice of life. But in addition to that big choice, there is that opportunity every day to choose Jesus. To choose to read His Word and to pray. To choose to be filled with the Spirit. And so, each day that we choose Him and we choose the power of the Spirit, what's happening is that we are building a stronger wall of protection against our depravity and we're choosing to remain faithful to Him. There's a third rhythm that's also contained here. It's found in verse 17 when the people say, it was the Lord our God who brought us out of Egypt. It's what I call checking our gratitude attitude score. 17 times in this book, in this chapter, excuse me, the pronoun I has been used to speak of the things that God did for the Hebrews. And after they heard all that God had done for them, their response in verse 17 is to acknowledge and to realize that it was the Lord God who did this for us. It was not our own selves. It was God who did this. In other words, they chose to have an attitude of gratitude. Now, here's what I've discovered in my life. That when my attitude of gratitude score diminishes, my sense of personal entitlement increases. There's a sense in which I think more highly of myself than I ought. I begin to think that I am above the rules. And when I am above the rules, I have freedom to engage in what pleases myself. And the only way for me to, to push that sense of entitlement down is to raise my attitude of gratitude score. And I realize that everything I have today comes from the gracious hand of God. And when I live with a high gratitude attitude score, chances are that I will remain more faithful to him because I understand how gracious he has been to me.
The fourth rhythm is found in verses 19 through 24, where Joshua challenges the people and he says, you're not able to serve the Lord. And they say, yes, we will. And as a reminder to us, this fourth rhythm is that we need to lean into the challenge. To remain faithful will be a challenge. To say no consistently to my own depravity, to daily choose to be in the Word, to be filled with the Spirit. That's significant. That's a challenge. To live with an attitude of gratitude, that also will be a challenge. And Joshua says, lean into it. It's not going to be easy for you to remain faithful. But by my Spirit, you can do that. So, that's the response that God's people makes to a God who pledges and vows to be faithful. We pledge to serve Him in faithfulness. Now, let's bring this home and make it very specific for what you and I are experiencing today. Frankly, these days are are frightening. I and you perhaps feel vulnerable. There are a multitude of questions that go through my mind on a daily basis. (laughs) Should I touch that? Have I kept enough distance from other people? Why do I touch my face as often as I do? When should I look again at my portfolio? What about that trip I'd planned to take in June? These are just a few of the questions that we ask during this season of life we can find ourselves becoming very anxious. We can lose our sense of peace and joy. And that's dangerous when we lose our peace and our joy. So the question is, how do we as as believers face our anxiety and our concern over these days? Well, Paul in Philippians 4 gives to us some very specific things that that we can do in order to address these very, very present issues. And so in Philippians 4, and verse 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And, and And here's what I'm practicing in these days. I need to be engaged significantly each day in a time of worship, of giving Him praise and thanks and rejoicing in Him. Here's what I've discovered over the course of time. I can either worship or I can worry, but I cannot do both at the same time. As my worry grows and crescendos, so my sense of worship diminishes. And the more I worship, and, I, and that builds, worry diminishes. And there is a direct correlation between worship and worry. And Paul here says that if you want to overcome anxiety, you need to first and foremost be a worshiper. Worship God for who He is, for His blessings, for His faithfulness in this season of life. In verse 6, he gives a second action. 
He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the second action to take is to pray. To pray about that issue that's creating anxiety. We pray about that until the peace of God returns to our lives. Here's what it looks like for me. I become anxious. I feel the, the weight of something upon my shoulders. I'm worn down by that. And, and I've been carrying that around with me. And so what I need to do in prayer is that I take it off my shoulders and I literally put it upon God's shoulders. I said, God, take this. Now, truth be told, there are some things in my life that I can just simply say that and God's peace returns as I just give it over to him. But there are some things that are so near and dear to me that it's a struggle for me to let go. But, but, but I've learned that I need to wrestle in prayer over that item until there comes that moment in time in which I sense that I have released it to him. And when it's released to him, then the peace of God returns to my life. And so I'd encourage you, you continue in prayer until you sense that God's got it and you've got his peace. Number three is found in verse eight. And it's really so practical because after we have prayed and we have said, amen, we get up and what do we do next? Well, Paul tells us what to do next. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So after we pray and we have said amen to our prayer, the one thing we should not do is to put our Bibles down and pick up the remote for the television and turn it on to Fox News. Nothing against Fox News. It could be CNN, could be any news channel. But bottom line is this. What will happen is that after we have experienced his peace, we can find ourselves getting right back into the mud of all of that news, which is not helpful or healthy. Paul says, instead, after you have prayed, fill your mind with the beautiful things. Part of the discipline of the Christian life is to, to be careful about what we permit to enter into our mind. We should be thinking about the beautiful things that God has created. And finally, in verse 9, he, he ends with this thought. Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. And here he just simply says, just do it. Just do these things. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. If you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. He promises that he will be with you. He will be faithful to you. I want you to know today that God is for you. He is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You can experience that on a deeply personal level right where you are. Thank him 
for his faithfulness to you. As we think about the beautiful future of this facility, I want you to know that God says, as I have been faithful to Elam Mission Church in the past, I am going to be faithful. I am going to be faithful to Highland Community Church for decades to come. What a glorious memory you have of the past. What a glorious future you have to claim as God works on your behalf. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us today. May each heart that has heard this message, may they sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And may, Lord, each of us learn how to roll our concerns over upon you so that we could know your peace in the midst of these unsettling times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Highland family. Thank you, Pastor Ingerbritson, for that message this morning. I want to start with just a couple of announcements for you. This is March 29th, 2020. Um, we are in a different location. We are actually in the new Highland building, and we're very pleased to be coming to you this morning from this location. Uh, next week, when we record, we may be in a different location with uh, changes in our, our situation, but we will be here one way or the other, so you can be rest assured of that. Each week, you're going to receive an email with this bulletin. And in that is going to have all of our announcements. It's going to have the prayer requests or prayer spotlights, just as if you were here on a Sunday morning. That will be emailed out to you. If you're not getting emails and you want to, send an email to the church office and just ask uh, Julie, to put your name on the email list to get the bulletin. We want to make sure that we're connecting. It would be super if we could have another 20 or 30 email addresses added to our list by next Sunday. So the announcements are going to be uh, a key way that we're going to communicate with you. And it's got uh, the, the most accurate information that we ha uh, are aware of at the time that that's printed. We're also working on other ways that we can communicate and stay in touch, and you'll be hearing more about those as time goes on. So appreciate your patience, and I uh, really appreciate your presence here this morning. Um, I just want to close this morning um, with a passage of scripture uh, and then a time of prayer. This is Psalm 71, and I'm just going to read the first uh, handful of verses here, but just listen to the words and, um, in light of our current situation. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. 
You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and worth your glory all the day. What really struck me is, you know, we're, we're in a, amazing times and we're told now here that we need to take refuge. But let's go back and remember what scripture tells us to do and where our refuge really lies. Our refuge is in God. And the other thing that really struck me in this passage is that uh, this phrase, for example, my praise is continually of you and my mouth is filled with your praise. In these times, there are going to be opportunities for you to have conversations with people about the situation. Let our mouths be filled with praise. Let them be filled with words of his glory and be continually a testimony to him, to those that we talk to in all the situations that we find ourselves in, not in a glib way or a, a, a dismissive way, but truly let our mouth be filled with the praise of God during this time. The temptation will be there to get pulled into whatever conversation that you find yourself in uh, and give in to fear or complaining or whatever else the conversation turns to. But let us be known by our mouths, be continually filling, filled with the praise of God. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I lift up to you those that are serving in the mission field, those that are away from family and, and uh, home and security during this time. I pray your protection around them. I pray that the gospel would continue to go forth in those places, in all those regions, and the times are changing all over the world. Father, hold them in your hand. I pray that you would bless their ministry. I pray that doors would open to the gospel in ways that haven't been opened before, that you would use this to your glory. Father, we pray for those who are sick among us, who are recovering from illness and surgery, God, we pray for healing, and it's this time where we are, um, where health is a concern. God, we do lift up to you. You know how fragile we are. And we lift up to you this morning those who are ill. God, we pray for your protection over your people. Father, help us to be ministers of your grace to those around us in whatever way you put on our heart. Help us to be obedient to your promptings. Father, especially during this time when our situations demand creativity and you are a creative God, I just ask that you would open our ears to hear your prompting as you lead us on how we can minister to those around us. Father, I pray this week as we go forward that we would be intentionally connecting with one another to building one another up. God, as you have called us to be, the church building one another up. Father, we give you all glory. We put our hope in you for the future. We look forward with great expectation to what lies in store for us. And we submit to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Highland family, we will see you next week.
Go in God's peace.